This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Such a drag to go by some Batman and be upset with the story that's told. Who is this crook? Where's Bruce gone now? No one's been named. Why are they so old? Back in your home, you wonder if I could find out which bat books to buy. Which bat books to buy? Hi. There's a podcast. Bat Books for Beginners Got some tips on which of the Batman comic books I might make as mine Some more, read all that I can Walk in the store, walk out feeling fine Back in your home, so glad to find You figured out which Bat Books to buy Which Bat Books to buy, hi from the podcast, Bad Books for Beginners. Download tomorrow, every other Friday. Download tomorrow, every other Friday. It changed the bad books in your world. It changed the bad books in your world. Hello, and welcome to this edition of TBU's Bat Books for Beginners, episode 219. My name is Jerry. And I'm Chris. And we are your hosts. On Bat Books for Beginners, we will examine story arcs with Batman and related characters. We'll give you the historical background of the book break down the plot and the art, and give you our opinions so you can decide for yourself if they're worth a read. Today's Bat Book Chris and I are covering is Batman Incorporated, Volume 2. So, Chris, tell us about this book. <laughs> Thank you very much, Jerry. Jerry, I gotta, I gotta stop right here and Ooh. say, you know, Talk of the Town oh, by the Pretenders, yes. I think, is a very, very underrated song. I agree. And I thought this, what you just executed, was a masterpiece. Oh, thank you so much. I love that song so much. I do too. I heard it right before we came on the recording, uh, and I, I thought, my gosh, you know, you really outdid yourself. And I know oh. this, this is a song that you, uh, was was a favorite of yours, and yeah. I know you've been kind of tinkering. You kind of hinted on Twitter <laughs> that you were working on this, and yep. uh, my gosh, I, I, I can't. Thank you enough for uh, putting uh, that together, and I really, really enjoyed it. Oh, thank you so much. Great. Hello, Bat fans. Thank you very much for spending some of your day with us today for yet another episode. We sadly yeah. bypassed Batman number 188, the first <laughs> appearance of the Eraser, 
And instead, we're going to cover Batman Incorporated Volume 2. Now, this is going to be two trade paperbacks that Jerry and I are going to be looking at. Now, first up, we've got uh, Batman Incorporated Second Series Volume 1, Demon Star. This collects issue numbers 0 through 6 of Batman Incorporated Volume 2, uh, is going to be the second series, and it's going to collect Gotham's Most Wanted, and that collects issue numbers 7 through 13. Again, this is from the second series of Batman Incorporated. Okay, now, Batman Incorporated Second Series Volume 1, Demon Star, is a 176-page, full-color, soft-cover trade paperback that was initially published in November 2013 and was cover-priced at $16.99, and it appears to have gone through more than one printing. If you wish to obtain a copy of this trade, online vendors have later printings uh, of the trade for around just only $5, which appears to be the cheapest route to go. The individual issues are around cover price. Comixology has this for $9.99 at the time of this recording, and this is available on DC's app for $12.99, so shop carefully. Yeah. Okay, now for Batman Incorporated Second Series Volume 2, Gotham's Most Wanted, that is a 224 full-color softcover trade paperback that was initially published in August 2014 and had a cover price of $16.99 as well, but this only appears to have only gone through one printing. If you wish to obtain a copy of this trade, online vendors have this for around $13. It's slightly less than cover price, and this may be the cheapest route to go. Individual issues can be found for around the cover price. However, keep in mind, there are polybag variations of these issues, and those may be much more harder to come by. Amazon's website states that there's a hardcover version of this. I couldn't corroborate that, and that supposedly goes for $18.99. Comixology has this particular trade for $9.99 at the time of this recording, and this is also available on DC's comic app for $16.99. The original issues, and again, that's the second series, issue numbers 0 through 13, were cover dated November 2012 through September 2013. Each individual cover price of those were $2.99, but the polybag variants of this issue that had the digital code and a different cover, those were priced at $3.99. Hmm. And this is in the new 52 era of DC hmm. Comics. It should be noted that there are variant covers by different artists, and those do exist, and they're floating out there. For our creative team, as per usual, I'll go off of online resources and my memory. The Batman was created by Bob Kane with Bullfinger. Our main writer is Grant Morrison, who we've mentioned on several past podcasts. Morrison was born January 31st, 1960, making him 59 years old. His early comic works include the UK series 2000 AD. I first encountered his work on the late 1980s title for DC called Animal Man, and that's a one I highly recommend finding if you're not familiar with it. Uh, other credits include Doom Patrol, JLA, All-Star Superman, another great, great series there, that he did for DC Comics. He also did New X-Men for Marvel Comics. Uh, he currently did a really great job on uh, DC's Green Lantern title, and it's fine, fine stuff. Okay, now our main artist is Chris Burnham, and Burnham also wrote issue number 11, not Grant Morrison. Uh, Burnham was born on November 9th, 1977. That makes him 42 years old. He was born in Connecticut. But Burnham grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where he first discovered comics. He studied at George Washington University. I think I first encountered his work on the books that we're discussing today. Now, more recently, uh, Burnham uh, has worked with Robert Kirkman for the Image Comics title Die, 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 mm-hmm. which is extremely violent, and yeah. it's something that uh, Jerry and I have mentioned on the Professor Frenzy show. More information about Chris Burnham can be found on chrisburnham.com. The artist on issue number 11 was uh, Jorge Lucas, 
not to be confused with George Lucas. Jorge Lucas was born January uh, 22, 1963, and I found conflicting information whether he was born in Uruguay or Argentina. Lucas first came into prominence in Argentina with his work on El Cazador de Adventuras, properly known as just El Cazador. Cazador, or it, by just jokingly, it's affectionately named character nickname El Cazi. El Cazador it was the highest-selling adult comic book wow. in Argentina for several years, something I was not familiar with. Uh, the series hmm. starred a character similar to DC Comics' Lobo and featured artwork heavily influenced by Simon Bisley's style. Over in that title, Lucas worked with uh, Ariel Alvetti, Mauro Casacoli, and Claudio Ramirez. Uh, here in the States, he's known for his work on Marvel Comics with titles such as uh, Inhumans, Mystique, Iron Man, The Avengers, Black Panther, The Incredible Hulk, and Wolverine. And Lucas states that's his favorite character. And finally, for issue number zero, we had an artist by the name of Fraser Irving. Irving was born in 1970. He's a British comic book artist known for the series Necronauts, published by the British magazine 2000 AD. Now, over on Amazon.com, Batman Incorporated, Volume 1, Demon Star has a rating of 4.2 stars out of 5, based on 48 oh. ratings. And over on Goodreads.com, this has a rating of 3.85 stars out of 5, based on 2,967 ratings and 197 reviews. Over on Amazon.com, Batman Incorporated, Volume 2... Gotham's Most Wanted has a rating of 3.8 stars out of 5, based on 49 ratings, and over on Goodreads.com, this has a rating of 3.88 stars out of 5, based on 2,038 reviews and 176 mm-hmm. ratings. But hold on a minute. Before we get more further, as Rod Stewart used to say, just what do Jerry and I think of this massive 400-page opus, and what of... Jerry's awesome recap. Mm-hmm. And with that, I shall turn it back over to you, Jerry. Thanks, Chris. Great info. So we're going to talk about this story after a few messages from some of our friends. Greetings, Gothamites. Lane here, asking, does the world really need another Batman podcast? Well, of course it does. He's Batman. However, rather than tackle Batman in comic books, movies, or television, my podcast, Batman Books, The Dark Knight and Prose, We'll follow the caped crusader via the written word, where the only pictures are those formed in the imagination. Each season, I choose a different book to delve into, and each episode dives deep into a few chapters at a time. So join me as I explore the streets of Gotham between the covers of novels and novelizations in Batman books, The Dark Knight in Prose. Welcome back. Here is the story of Batman Incorporated, Volume 2. Bruce is spreading Batman Incorporated into cities all around the world. We meet many of the heroes he recruits. Many of them are presumed dead, so they act as Batman's secret army. They're fighting the international crime syndicate Leviathan. So one of the main Leviathan people is a skeleton head in a white robe surrounded by man bats as muscle. Leviathan is expanding. Leviathan is cruel. Leviathan talks about itself in the third person. Damien is adjusting to being Bruce's Robin after being Robin for Dick. Talia El Ghul put a bounty on Damien's head for some reason. An assassin in a goat mask that is a cabbie by day is gunning to kill the kid. He gets him. He has the video to prove it, and he goes to Leviathan for protection from the angry Batman. Talia is summoned to see her father, Rachel Ghoul, who imprisons her to stop her war on Batman. She remembers being young and trained as a killer. She also remembers her father's resurrection in the Lazarus Pit. It was a sad life. 
Talia remembers visiting Melisandre, a fortune teller, that said she was her mother and who tried to turn her against Rish. When she asked her father about her, he said that her mother is dead. Talia also remembers Batman rescuing her from a kidnapping and falling in love with him. Raish had set it all up because he wanted a superior child and figures Talia and Batman would make perfect parents. Talia remembers getting pregnant and incubating the child, raising him and introducing him to his father. But Bruce spurned her love, and now she has had Damien killed, maybe, and wants to destroy Batman. Raish doesn't want her to, so he imprisons her. The Leviathan organization was built by radical school teachers telling poor kids they're being used by society. And when the parents complain about their kids' radicalization, they're framed for crimes and the social workers take their children away from them and put them in Leviathan's control. Now, it turns out that Damien isn't really dead. I know that must be a shock to everyone. <laughs> It also turns out that Talia is infecting Gotham's food chain with mind control drugs. Bruce dresses up as Matches Malone, gets a lead from the goat assassin cabbie guy, but then gets a call and needs to save a lounge singer. Damien, who's supposed to be dead and hiding in the Batcave, heads out into the night in a new costume, Redbird. Matches goes to the house where the singer is, and presumably it's a Leviathan headquarters, but it's, tr it's a trap. He gets taken, but old Matches is pretty resourceful and he gets away. Redbird shows up as does Batman's secret army. There's fighting. Batman is not happy about Damien being out of the Batcave, but what you gonna do? Matches suits up as Batman. They fight all the baddies. Talia sends her man-bat ninjas to attack them, but they use ultrasonics to knock them out of the sky. Turns out that that cabbie assassin goat boy dude faked the killing of Damien for Batman. He now wants to get his third kill, so Leviathan will let him into the organization. He wants to kill the lounge singer, but Batman says no. Anyway, that singer stabs Goat Boy in the neck with a fork. Yay! Batman gets on the comms with Talia. He says he wants her to surrender. She says no way, and oh by the way, one of your secret army wingman is someone special. Turns out, it's Jason Todd. Wow, Jason's back. Damien's upset Jason's back in the fold. Batman tells Damien that he has to return to Talia or the world will be engulfed in chaos, and that would be bad. In a very confusing issue, Bruce warns that if Damien becomes Batman like Talia wants, there will be a nuclear war, and that's bad. The country will be forced to destroy Gotham. That's also bad. After all the fighting, the Bat team regroups, but is attacked by Kali, a multi-armed baddie with an Indian goddess motif. As exciting as it sounds that this could be, uh, this storyline is abandoned. <laughs> Some of Batman's secret army are attacked by Talia's people. It's bad. Also, Batman is in the building and it gets ex exploded. Your guess as to what's happening is as good as mine. There are Batman, Bat Ninjas fighting and there's all sorts of out-of-context fun. Talia gives Batman a choice. Give her Damien or Gotham will be destroyed. Batman fights to save his army, but is hurt and taken away by man-bats. Lots of people are dead. The Bat family is fighting amongst themselves. Now, remember that Damien was created in a lab? Well, he wasn't the only one. Talia had a replacement made, hatched and grown in a whale carcass. Maybe this replacement is Leviathan from a whale. Get it? There's wide-ranging fighting. The Bats are getting beat. There's confusion and disloyalty. 
Talia is going to unleash Ouroboros, a huge meta bomb. Red Robin almost gets blown up by a Talia trap. She has also been replacing people in Gotham. There's rioting. Even a bus full of school kids attacks Jim Gordon and the cops and the cops screeching their battle cry, Leviathan. In all the chaos, Talia takes over Wayne Tower. Batman wakes up locked in a safe and thrown into a pool on the roof of the tower. Talia's been doing crazy stuff to him and measuring his vital signs. It's kind of like a stress test. She wants to do things so evil that she will become his number one arch enemy. But don't tell Joker. Damien is set back to the Batcave, but hears about all the chaos and danger to the Bat family. He feels like he needs to get back out there to help. Alfred gives him his Robin costume and says he will tell people that Damien overpowered him. Damien foils all of the Batcave safety protocols and escapes. Now, remember Nightwing and Jim Gordon being attacked by little kids? So, you know, if they're little kids, it's emotionally difficult to shoot or even punch them very hard. And these kids are swarming to kill you. So Damien arrives on rocket boots and has no such moral issues about beating up little kids. He saves Dick and Jim and then rocket boots his way to Wayne Tower, where Batman is currently locked in the safe on the pool roof, trying to free himself before he drowns. Red Robin gets into Wayne Tower through the lobby, fighting off a bunch of fake tower employees. He comes under heavy fire and Damien rockets to their rescue. Damien is swarmed by the kids and they're all slipping around on the wet, just mop floor. Damien electrocutes everyone who isn't wearing an electricity-proof batsuit. Dick and Damien team up to fight more baddies. They capture the Metabomb trigger, and it's held by a little girl under a museum-type tank. They do well, but then a super-huge guy shows up. Dick gets hurt, and Damien says to stop. He'll go to his mother. The giant big guy is the Damien clone and Damien's replacement. Leviathan, I guess. They fight. Damien's replacement wants the trigger back. They fight. Damien won't kill him because he's going by his father's wishes not to kill, so he gets beat bad. He demands the fighting stop and he be taken to his mother. Talia, however, is busy on the roof messing with Batman. I'm not sure what her game is, but by this point she sure seems serious about it. He gets away and finds the unresponsive Damien. The kid saved everyone, but now looks to be dead. They are able to escape the tower. Talia and Leviathan are still holed up in Wayne Tower. Leviathan is told by Talia to call her Lady Talia. She's angry that he killed Damien without her permission. They have a funeral and bury Damien. Bruce is mad at Alfred for letting Damien out of the Batcave. Also, the knight from Knight and Squire is dead, and Squire becomes knight herself and teams up with Dark Angel to defeat Leviathan. Leviathan tells the city they have people infiltrated into city government, and unless the city bans Batman Incorporated, they'll do bad things. Also, Batman has to be no longer welcome in Gotham City, and the city complies. So Batman Incorporated goes underground, still fighting Leviathan. Bruce is sad about Damien dying, and Batcow is too. Batman visits Michael Lane, the new Asriel, and asks for his help. And now, even though the city complied, Talia wreaked havoc from the inside on the city with her infiltration teams and caused all kinds of problems around the city. Kirk Langstrom has an antidote to the man-bat serum, so that's good. Batman is there, and he has to beat up a few cops looking for him before escaping in a hail of bullets. 
Leviathan wants to know when he will inherit being Batman and is getting very aggressive about it and threatens Talia, but she has his spine wired and will electrocute him to get him to obey. The baddies are on the roof of Wayne Tower when an army of bats strike, led by Batman in a flying bat suit. When the man bats are on the tower, they use the antidote to turn back into men and fight some more. Batman grabs the replacement and throws him through the water tower. The pair fight. Batman humiliates him in front of people, so many of the residents that worship Leviathan, and Batman now shows him that he is weak. Nightwing and the New Knight show up, and they break Leviathan's helmet. They escape, and Talia has the top of Wayne Tower exploded. Red Robin and Nightwing are drawn to a warehouse where they're met by Batwing Jason Todd. Turns out, Jason is working with Spiral, a super-secret international spy organization who wants to fight Talia. The defeated Leviathan goes back to Talia and complains. She cuts off his head, saying there's more, <laughs> more of you where that came from. Talia gives the order to kill Gotham. The Bat family springs into action. Bruce heads to the Batcave to monitor things, and Talia breaks in to fight to the death. Later, Bruce is placed under arrest for Batman Incorporated's activities. He's pretty beat up. Jim Gordon is questioning him, and Bruce tells him about Talia being Damien's mother, and she wanted him, and so destroyed Wayne Tower and killed all those people. Bruce remembers back a couple of pages to his fight with Talia that caused all those injuries. They fought, also talked, and talked, and kissed, and then fought some more. She used poison on her sword blade, and Batman has minutes to live. Batwing arrives with the Metabomb trigger and says to give Batman the antidote. She does an exchange for the trigger. Batman is saved, but the Metabomb trigger was disarmed. Ha ha, Talia. Jason tells her she should run. Some scary people are on the way. She isn't put off. Batman is all messed up while Talia monologues. She's about to kill him when she gets shot in the head. The shooter is Kathy Kane from Spiral, who turns out wasn't killed by Bronze Tiger like everyone thought. Back in Jim Gordon's interrogation, Jim gets a message. The mayor has ended the bat curfew and ended the investigation. Also, Bruce has been bailed out. Rachel Ghoul is angry. He's stolen Bruce's parents' bodies, pulled their DNA, and created a whole matrix room full of tadpole Bruce's. The end. Whew. So Chris and I are going to talk about our feelings for the story after these words from some of our friends. Do you enjoy movie scores? Do you like science fiction? like fantasy and do you like movies uh, uh everything's under control situation normal what happened uh it has like weapons malfunction but uh everything's perfectly all right now we're fine we're all fine here now thank you 
How are you? Well, I have a podcast for you. Soundtrack Alley. It's a podcast where I take you on a journey through the time of my childhood and beyond to give you a glimpse into the world of movies, science fiction, fantasy, and other films that touch me on a personal level. You'll also enjoy interviews from film composers from famous movies from the past or even current times. Enjoy the interaction I have with guests on my show every so often, and check out other shows that share in guest spots. So sit back, relax, and let the soundtrack world wash over you, and check out Soundtrack Alley. You'll love it. Welcome back. All right, Chris, you sitting down? What do you think? Yes, <laughs> I'm sitting down. Thank you very much, Jerry. Wow, we, with this one, I, I don't know how to attack it. Uh, I kind of want to go little picture, big picture, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to think where to start first. I'll, I'll start with little picture, where we break down some of the finer parts of this. Whew, I have a lot of respect for Morrison mm-hmm. and the historical background that he brings to the table when he's writing these characters. There were a lot of allusions he uh, referenced to with respect to past material. Mm-hmm. And I thought the creative team I have a lot of respect for as well. Uh, in this issue number zero, there, there's one scene where uh, we see a guy getting a tattoo, and it's like this crystal creature and a cyclops man. Mm-hmm. And it was this this nice allusion to a couple of uh, detective comics uh, stories from Batman circa 1960, I want to say. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, oh, wow, what a really, really cool thing here. Uh, we had a nice, really rendered uh, Damien fight sequence mm-hmm. in the first issue. We got a lot of great Raish Talia interaction. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of key stuff there was in issue number two. We had some great flashbacks to uh, Talia's origins and her progressions of character uh, with Dr. Dark, with the allusions with uh, Detective Comics 410. Uh, we had an appearance of Merlin, uh, Green Arrow villain in issue number four. We had a great death trap scene with Batman locked in the safe. And I thought that was really cool. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we had the uh, ending and I'm thinking, what is this? Kathy King is back and how, what, where, you know, and you know, th- a character like that, you know, from, uh, from someone my age who just had this uh, fondness and respect for the character and somebody who thought the character was uh, casual, callously uh, killed off, yep. you know, with uh, back in the day. And w- was this necessary? And, uh, what she she's alive? How did this happen? Yeah. And why? I, I thought it was was did it was it used and executed cheaply? Uh, she just appeared out of nowhere, and now she's gone again. I I, I really don't know what was going on with this, and uh, I was really really kind kind of confused. So those were my little nuggets of, mm. of of impressions. Now things with respect to the bigger scope, and Jerry, this is something I want to pick apart with you as we go along sure. towards towards the end of our discussion. You know, I really want your take on the character uh, Talia and her characterization because we've seen her involved into somebody who was more or less um, somebody who's had almost like a stalker obsession with Batman mm-hmm. but who kind of accompanied him on a particular mission and you know she did her thing and she was a reluctant ally with Rachel's op- op- uh, operations for Global Conquest. Now she seems to really uh, from when we started covering like a uh, Batman Death and the Maidens to somebody who looked a little frail and vulnerable. Now she's just this uber mean character who's just really off the rails yeah. with uh, domination and just uh, cruelty and just uh, evil and and everything else like that. I really like the, the scope with the uh, race stories here. Mm-hmm. 
And that said, okay, I'll, I, I appreciate the, the material recovered with respect to that. And I, I got the grandeur. I got the art. I've got the scope. And I, that, that's one thing I really liked about this. But then I have to ask myself with respect to Morrison and the things we've read recently with his work, did this narrative feel forced to me? Mm-hmm. Because we've got the illusion of uh, the Batman Incorporated and here's what it stands for. Right. And is this merely a story or is this thing that this is a thing that's going to be more than just a nod to Batman history, mm-hmm. is this going to be uh, part and parcel to a uh, cast of supporting characters that we're going to see throughout? And did this feel forced how, how it was, uh, as it was thrust upon the reader? Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if I got the vibe that Morrison was trying to force like a round hole in a square peg that you as a reader will have to buy this. You'll, you'll have to, you know, really get into, you know, the, the landscape of Gotham as, as I'm putting, uh, setting up the board and, and executing a story mm-hmm. here. Uh, I kind of grudgingly got into it because while I respect for the lore, a lot of the stories back in the day were one and done. Mm-hmm. You know, when when he made a loot, when when Batman had these Batman of different countries, and oh, isn't that nice? And and here, this is like, okay, no, this is going to be something that we're going to have to follow. And it's like, okay, now I'm going to need a scorecard to keep on who's track of this and who's doing that, and where's this going? Yeah. Where's that going? And everything like like that with respect to the narrative. Um. Looking at my notes, another thing I had, I was like, you know, as I got to look at Burnham's art more and more, and my gosh, Die, Die, Die is just a uber-violent series, yeah. and I just saw some of the bloodshed that was spilled here, and I think Burnham, you know, if there's such a talent for depicting violent fight scenes, you know, Chris Burnham's <laughs> got, got it. it. I mean, he, he really knows how to execute that. Uh, but, you know, in other places, his art looks a lot like Frank Quiet- Quietly, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm having these flashbacks. To, to new X-Men back in the day because, you know, that's, that's Morrison and, and a quietly ca- collaboration there. So I couldn't help but try to compare and contrast some of the, that material as well. So it, it was hard for me to get a handle on this in some places. And just the characterization of Talia kind of rubbed me oddly <laughs> in some places as well, you know, because I, I'm, I'm trying to get to see where she's going here. And just the, and going back to the the appearance of Kathy Kane, oh my gosh! It just—I I don't know if I felt like I'm—am I alone out here thinking, you know, what what just happened and, <laughs> and why? You yeah. know? So, Jerry, let's let's pick it apart a little bit. Th- those were my initial impressions, and I'm curious to hear what you're thinking. Yeah. So, um, I, I think it's really hard to disconnect my feelings for this. You know, I think folks listening should, you know, I have to write these these synopses, and um, this was. 14 issues and some of the issues went down rabbit holes that never came out. And I, re- I alluded to them a couple of times in my synopsis, but there were a couple of more. There was a whole Batman of Japan story and I just didn't even cover that in the synopsis at all. Um, and I probably could have cut back on some of the stuff that I did, but you know, when I'm looking at, uh, these stories and I, I can't just experience them like somebody reading the book would. I know I have work to do. So some, I may be getting a little more frustrated than somebody else would. But that being said, you know, my, my feelings for this is, are what they are. I thought that some of the art was inconsistent. Um, more so than, uh, in any of the bat books that we've really covered. Uh, and some of it is great. Um, there's some really kind of very flat art, especially at the beginning of the run of this run that looks really, really cool. And other of the art is really bad and it kind of settles down into this scratchy, like you mentioned that it's, you know, good for the fight scenes, but I didn't think the art was particularly great. I just thought it, it became serviceable over time. Um, 
there is a lot of cool stuff even related to the art. There's a panel where uh, Batman and Raish are fighting and you can see the reflection of the cowl in Raish's eyes. So it's almost like this panel looks like um, Crumb <laughs> drew it. Um, <laughs> but this, the reflection in the eyes is really cool. I really like the bat cow. So, you know, Damien actually gets two pets in the story, a, a cat and then bat cow that he saves from the slaughterhouse. And it's got a little bat symbol like in, in the, um, the fur pattern on his head, which is kind of, you know, that's fun enough. Um, and Morrison, you know, he's very, uh, he's, he's got a lot of interesting ideas, interesting concepts, and he makes a comment about all those live aid events. Um, they have a, a concert for, for poor people. And, um, in the story, it's, he talks about it guilting poor people into helping out even poorer people while the rich continue coloniz- colonizing the world. I thought that was, um, pretty interesting. Another good thing, we do see four Robins together, Dick, Jason, Tim, and Damien. And that's, you know, that's pretty cool to see that. Um, and especially Damien kind of playing with a cat, you know, it's not something we're used to seeing. <laughs> um, there's this abandoned storyline. I mentioned this, um, about Callie, this multi-armed goddess. And that kind of stops. That storyline just stops. But then, Kind of right away, we see a baddie named Spydra, who's a multi-arm baddie. And it's like, hold it, is now Spider Callie? And then that just disappeared. Everything just goes away. It's like, well, uh, we just give up on that. And the, the plot was just really complicated, a lot of dead ends. Um, but also, you know, that's on the negative side, but on the positive side, a lot of, um, the dialogue was really great. And a lot of it was given to Damien. A lot of the great moments here were given to Damien. Uh, he says at one time, my mother is far more dangerous than Joker or Catwoman or any of those idiots. <laughs> I thought that was funny. And, uh, when he goes to electrocute a bunch of people, he goes water plus electricity plus idiots equals <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Uh, there's a really good moment when Alfred gives Damien his Robin suit and then Damien escapes the bat cave. So, you know, these things are a little, you know, what, what do they call Mary Sue, right? Damien can do anything. He's a great fighter. He's a, you know, and he's 10 years old and he can hack systems, you know, but really that is part of any superhero story, right? Your superhero is going to be almost uh omnipotent and uh if you know why else would batman carry around shark repellent with him all the time well because in this story he meets a shark and we need that uh if you can't swallow that you shouldn't be reading these books you know um there's also a good moment and i'm not sure where this goes um but raish is talking to talia and it looks like she's going to, you know, her plan is going to work. And Race says, ah, you've missed one detail. And ha, 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 ha. And it echoes. And I'm not sure what that one detail was. It's a pretty cool moment. But I don't know that it really pays off. Uh, and kind of my last comment is, before we really talk about this, is I think there's a mistake in this, in the art. When Damien first arrived at Wayne Tower... At first, I thought he was hooking up with Red Robin because we see the Red Robin um, things that kind of the X over his chest and trunk. Um, but then later, it's Nightwing in the new 52 red suit when, you know, a new 52 uh, Nightwing wasn't blue. He was he had his red, the red Nightwing on his chest. You know, thank you, Dan DiDio. <laughs> um, now, 
seeing Damien and Dick, who used to be Batman and Robin together like this, is really critical to moving this whole story ahead, right? The whole new 52, where, you know, it's not going to be Batman and Robbie and Dick and Damon. It's going to be, but we still have to get Robin, uh, Damien and Dick still are going to have a close relationship and they do and this is one of the things that i think makes the bat family really interesting that you know this is their first combining to to fight together since they had been batman and robin together and this is a relationship that you know this bond that they have um lasts and and provides so many great moments going into the future and this is kind of the first one and that moment that I'm kind of thinking of is, um, in the, in the book Grayson, uh, in Grayson number 12, where Damien thought that, um, Dick had been killed and they, Dick shows up and they have him have a meeting and it's just a great moment and one of my favorite moments in bat books ever. Um, and they have a really great, um, relationship in this comics and, uh, it really starts to develop past the Batman and Robin, uh, here. And it was cool to see Spiral. And, you know, they kept making sure we knew that it was founded by Otto Nets. So that's good, good piece of information. Uh, I don't know why they keep telling us that, but they do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's kind of like uh, my rambling notes about this because it's kind of a rambling book. What did you think uh, otherwise, Chris? Well, Jerry, uh, I, I think I got to tell you that's sort of all over the board. Yeah. I think I like the artwork a little bit better than you. I do have to say it's bloody, so mm-hmm. this may not be for everybody, and this probably isn't a book for younger kids, mm. just with the depiction of violence, yeah. I would say, on this one. Uh, I, I like the scope, but I don't know if I like how it was executed, mm. if that makes any sense. And I, I'm still trying to get a candle on the Talia characterization. Jerry, I, we, we've seen, I think, different versions of Talia, yeah. arguably many more than any other character as we've been on this podcast, mm-hmm. you know, with, with seeing her depicted as sort of kind of a little bit frail and kind of, uh, broken, if you will, yeah. in the Death of the Maiden series. And, and here she is just this cold, calculated, unfeeling character. And I don't know where you stand with Talia as, as to quote unquote, um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, a cap and a capsulized good depiction of her or, or how you see her. Did, did Talia's characterization in this particular book strike you as someone, something as some that was true to the character or just a little more nastier than usual? If, 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 uh, if I could be uh, saying, saying it bluntly as that, yeah. or do, do you see, do you see her just a little more genteel or, or somewhere in the middle? Yeah. I, I see her here as a little more murderous as than usual. Um, and I, and I think the problem with the depiction of her here is that she wants Batman dead. She doesn't want him dead. She wants Damien dead. Yes, but why did you. you kill him? You know, I mean, and and she's just kind of it, it seems like she is what the plot needs her to be, not what her character really would do. Um, I, I just feel like she's a little bit of a um, she's not even a character here. She's just a construction. Um, I get that for when. She begrudgingly helps out Bruce, um, that you need these times where she's really, really bad to kind of contrast and make those other times pay off. Uh, it didn't work for me here. I just felt like she was just too one dimensionally evil and, um, that it, it made it not interesting for me. And I think that was a weakness of the story. How about you? What do you think? 
Jerry, I, I can't agree with you more. And I thought that was really well said. I, I have to applaud you uh, for your answer and just I kind of put you on the spot with that. And I, I really think you you nailed it. Uh, Jerry, one question also I had for you that uh, I'll go a little bit on the silly side. We see Damien a lot say the the uh, double T, you know, like that. And I, I got to say, now, do, you, do we pronounce that as with two syllables or is it just a solid? I don't know how you would how you would read that. I would just think it's a. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I wondered. I wonder if it's just me or if any other listeners uh, thought the same way. You know, <laughs> yeah. how, how we pronounce that double T because that seems to be almost like a, a catchphrase yeah, with, with Damien. Yeah, he uses that yeah. all the time. That's part of his character. And Jerry, I'm glad you had it in your notes because this is something I thought about writing, but I did not put down. But the the scene where he was playing with a cat, yeah. I, I thought uh, was really, really, really interesting. And and just to see him take to an animal like yeah. that was 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 kind of telling, you know, for somebody who doesn't particularly care for the Damien character. Mm-hmm. And uh, just seeing that that little bit of bonding there uh, was was nice, and some bonding with Alfred too, yeah. uh, in in some places. So um, yeah, I, I thought those. This book had some moments, but overall, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Jerry, I, I said it a couple of times already uh, on the show. The, the the appearance of Kathy Kane, mm-hmm. I really have mixed feelings yeah. about because uh, just how she was used and executed. Well, I was glad to see her alive, but but she kind of we don't know what happened. Yeah. And and did that bother you in any way? Um, I I felt that that could have been literally any character, including a new character. You know, and I think that, you know, I, I knew it was her. I knew the history. I thought it was cool enough that, oh, she's back, but I'm not sure why she's back, why she's back with Spiral, why that particular thing is interesting. I know what happens in the future with Spiral. I just don't know why it's important for it to be Kathy Kane other than, the, they're trying to, you know, thinking about DC kicking off this new 52 thing that is now starting. Um, they're trying to do some, bring it, bring back some new interesting characters. And it just seems like, how about Kathy Kane? Okay. Great. Great idea. Let's put her in here. And it just seemed mm, unplanned and just, just for like fan service. And that's what I felt about it. How about you? Yeah, I, oh boy, I really, you know, when I was a kid, uh, reading comics, you know, back in the day, there was a, a period sort of in the mid seventies when, uh, the Kathy Kane Batwoman character and the Betty Kane character got reintroduced mm. just when I was becoming more of a regular reader with Teen Titans and Batman Family, uh, what have you. And I, I really got to appreciate these characters because they, they, I missed out when they first appeared. And I thought it was really intriguing to have like a bat woman and, 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 a, and two bat girls running around with Barbara and, and Betty, yeah. you know, and they sort of kind of explained it. Well, Kathy still owns the, cir- owns a circus now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Betty is like this pro tennis player, you know, like, uh, <laughs> a la Tracy Austin, you know, who's, who's out there doing her thing and she can kind of travel in all these places. Great athlete. And, right. you know, they, they brought her back in uh, Teen Titans briefly. And, you know, uh, they, 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 uh, uh, Batwoman popped up in an issue of Batman Family, and she also appeared in an issue of uh, Freedom Fighters. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, great, they're, they're bringing them back and they're not forgetting these classic characters. And I really liked it. And I thought, when she died, I, I thought, why, oh, why did you, you know, you, you bring this character back just to kill her off? Mm-hmm. And it just really kind of bummed me out, uh, uh, when, when I saw that story, uh, in Detective back in the day. And it just really, really, uh, Gut punched me, and it was a little tough to get over. Yeah. 
but this is comics and and here she is back and at least she is back you know but uh we don't know what happened and i guess i'll just have to leave it at that she kind of you know morrison used her put her on the playing board and then put her back in the you know you had put her back in the toy box yep. and that's that so that's that but uh, i i like the inclusion and i liked uh, how morrison addresses you know a lot of uh history with respect to the characterization mm-hmm. uh which I said it before, and I'll say it again. I don't know if this it's something that might get lost on a newer reader, yeah. but um, I, I for the inclusion in of itself, I, I, I was I was glad, but I was shocked with uh, that we got really no explanation and, and nothing more than was than what was presented yeah. here. So, where would you bring this in in terms of a rating or a must read or recommend? Jerry, you know, I hate to do this, but I almost have to grade Morrison on a curve mm-hmm. because I think he is just one of the more talented writers we have in comics today. And I really like his current stuff that he did on, on Green Lantern of late mm-hmm. this past mm-hmm. year. And this might be not fair. You know, uh, I did have a lot of problems with this. Uh, we, we talked before we recorded and, 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 and I said, you know, I don't know if the, if I read this at the right time of day, but I took a couple of passes at this and this, this just really didn't land for me in some places. Uh, I like the scope of the story. I like how Morrison uses some references to old characters. The issue where, uh, we got a recap of like a, a Italian quote unquote origin, if you will, in mm-hmm. some summary there, I thought was masterfully executed, but Man, some of this really felt forced, yeah. you know, and I, I just, it really was tough for me to get a handle on it. And, and I was kind of disappointed. So I'm going to rate this at like two and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, just, just for some of the moments alone. And I think this was, this is almost something I would, I think a fan would be better off reading issue by issue mm-hmm. than trying to tackle in one trade and one sitting is just, too much for for my head Mm -hmm. even at my age you know as someone who loves to devour comics uh, trying to tackle this all in one sitting is just not enough i think this this would have been much much more pleasurable to read issue by issue so i'm going to say it's a two and a half out of five for my score am i going to say it's a must read no am i going to recommend it i'm going to say at your own risk listener (laughs) just do it at your own risk because i think there are a lot of things here that can be uh daunting if you are a new bat fan i think morrison throws in a lot of easter eggs that some fans won't even connect with or or get and that is what i am going to say 2.5 not a uh, must read and recommend at your own risk listener <laughs> Jerry one. how about your rating and would you say this is a must read and or would you recommend it so I'm going to bring this in at a 2-0 I think um, I am a little I was impressed a little less by some of the Easter eggs I think it has great moments um, the back cow and, and Damien in general I think Damien is good here there's some good character um, creation character progression here uh, he's bratty, but he's also funny. And I think that they're kind of changing his balance, you know, between bratty and funny into the funnier side. And he's saving people and he's more committed to the Bat family. I think that is helpful, but I just thought it was so confusing and frustrating. And, you know, again, I mentioned this before. Keep in mind that I know I have to write a synopsis for this. So confusing and frustrating are going to really bother me <laughs> because of that. Um, is it a must read or recommend? I would say it, no, it's not a must read and I wouldn't recommend it 
except for Damien fans or somebody that, you know, really is interested to see the progression of that character. Um, I think he is done well here. It is interesting what's done here, but it's unfortunately just done in a confusing um, soup of storylines. So that's where I stand. Gotcha. So that's all we have for this uh, story. But now wanted to mention that Chris, uh, you know, if you want to talk to to Chris out on Twitter, you can get him on at BTO and Bat Books. And he does some interesting stuff on uh, Batgirl Oracle. And they have uh, just put out uh, some interesting, an interesting episode, don't they, Chris? Yeah, thanks so much, Jerry. Uh, Batgirl Oracle, uh, hosted by the talented, marvelous Stella, just had her 10th anniversary. And, uh, this is, this episode of the podcast is going to drop a couple days after, uh, the 10th anniversary show. Mm -hmm. So I hope the listeners caught it. I hope they had a lot of fun. Hope uh, we had a a lot of great calls and a a lot of fun, a lot of fun and and enjoyment when we, we spend time together. So I was, I was very flattered to be part of the Batgirl to Oracle. 10th anniversary extravaganza my gosh 10 years where does the time go (laughs) and uh shout out and props to stella for covering uh the incarnations of batgirl chronologically and just Mm -hmm. really doing deep dives with respect to everyone who had the mantle of batgirl and uh you know i gotta say i think barbara gordon is probably my favorite version but you know there's some probably dissension among the ranks and it's (laughs) fun to see where different people come at it and you know who their favorite babs was and uh yeah just 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 great stuff um I have a segment on the show with respect to the regular episodes where I look at the Batman Adventures comic book from the 1990s, mm-hmm. which was an adaptation of the animated series that aired at the time. And there were a lot of great one-and-done stories that I thought were really, really uh, well-executed and just magnificent in their own right. And I thought it was uh, time that somebody... Uh, a look at those stories, and I really, really enjoy that. I have a segment within a segment called Night Watch, and that's Great. where I look at the character Nightwing in the current issues of Nightwing, and I'm looking at that from a shipper's yeah. perspective, and I'm having a lot of fun with that. So again, yeah, you can also hear me on the Backroll to Oracle podcast. Great. Now, Jerry, you're on Twitter at Professor Frenzy, mm-hmm. and you also do some things on some other shows, and we also do another show together. Together. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that? You bet. So out on Twitter at Professor Frenzy, I tweet out weekly comics. We talk about indie comics a lot. Uh, talk about Dark Shadows and uh, horror movies. We, uh, Chris and I both live tweet horror, uh, live horror movies at the hashtag Svengooly, where we watch Svengooly on Saturday night at 8 Eastern. So uh, check out Svengooly and check out Twitter for our uh, <laughs> snarky comments about the movies. I also do a segment on the podcast Monster Kid Radio where I cover an EC horror comic story. And now um, Chris and I both are doing uh, the podcast The Professor Frenzy Show. And that's a podcast Chris and I do on indie comics. We also produce Memory Minute Monday where we talk about nostalgic events from our past. And also another show, Frenzy Peace Theater, where we cover a classic indie comic. And that drops on Sundays. So I've been taking these EC horror comic stories and I've been uh, putting them together and releasing them uh, as Professor Frenzy's bedtime stories, uh, covering a classic EC horror comic, and that drops on Friday. So everyone, check out those shows, and you can search on iTunes for it on The Professor Frenzy Show. Jerry, we were fortunate to get some comments from Twitter on our last episode. That's where we talked about Batman the Black Mirror. First up, we heard from our great friend, at Green Lantern HG, and he said, great episode, guys. I do remember this story. Don't 
think I finished it though. Uh, right. <laughs> I agree. I, I don't think it's a must read, yeah. Rubs Your Chin, unless you're a Dick Grayson fan. Mm. And I'll confess something. I don't know why, but this story always reminds me of a long Halloween. Mm. Mm. Eyebrow raise. Yeah, I'm weird. Okay. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't know if you're that weird Green Lantern HG. You know, I think some stories certain kind of resonate with some people. And you know, I'm glad you mentioned the long Halloween. That's mm. something I'm going to have to pull out and do a reread on. That's something I always like to take a, some of my old favorite Batman stories and do a reread once a year. And I'm, right now I'm kind of uh, going through some old Birds of Prey stuff Ooh. and some old Captain America uh, stuff and uh, Marvel that I, I liked back in the day. But yeah, Long Halloween has always always been out there and I, I really need to uh, revisit that. So yeah. thanks so much, Green Lantern HG. We heard from at Maxi Zeus. Thank you so much at Maxi Zeus for chiming in. And he said the following, Black Mirror almost made me hate comics. Oh, oh my gosh. That's hard. Yeah. Yeah. The way it did, it Junior broke me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense. I, the, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Good call there. And uh, Maxi Zeus, God continues, it wasn't until the Batman who laughs that I could trust Snyder again. Oh. Uh, yeah. You know, boy, you know, Snyder is sort of like... um it's like one of those dials I'm holding, you know, it's sort of like a positive negative, mm. you know, if I'm watching a TV show, you know, do I turn it to the green or do I turn it to the red, yeah. you know, and it's, I think, well, for me, I think my long, biggest problem is I, I like some of the story ideas that I think are fantastic plots, mm-hmm. but when it comes to the actual story, I think it, it gets to be kind of long-winded with respect to, okay, I got to fill up another couple of shoes just to kind of pad out a trade, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that's how I feel sometimes, and I mean, no necessarily disrespect to the person or the writer itself, mm-hmm. but I think some of the arcs are overarching, and it's just like, how far can we push Batman? And it's like, okay, yeah, all right, I, I, I get it. I think that's every every writer wants to put Batman in a place he's never been before, yeah. break him, and then how he gets mentally back, you know, physically back, and what have you. And a little of that can go a long way. Yeah. And I think if every writer does that, you know, what what, what then stands out? And uh, that's just me. And I hope I don't sound too curmudgeonly. So, eh, okay. Yeah. And we also heard from, oh, this is our great friend, Ian at IBM Miller. Thank you so much. And Ian, uh, Again, for, for everybody who chimed in, Greenlander, GMX, Scott, and again, you know, thank you so much for writing. We can't thank you enough. And I, I, I really want to acknowledge you guys for, for, um, providing comments for our show. And it, it, it means a lot to me and Jerry yeah. that we've got listeners out there and, and we like to hear other people's takes on respective stories. And we, we can't thank you enough. So here's Ian's comment. The Black Mirror for me, is almost as masterful as year one, mm. largely because of the art. Okay. Jock actually surpassed Francovella for me wow. because of how dramatic uh, his use of powerful sketchy lines and colors contrast. Mm-hmm. The sheer depth of characterization and world building really draws me into Dick's world, mm. mind, and relationships in a way that very few other writers ever have. The use of Dick and Barbara is dark, but also warm, and the way everything builds to the end moves me like few. Wow, mm. such insightful comments, yeah. and I really, really applaud Ian for just how he looks at a story and how something affects him, either positive or negatively, and he he does it in such an articulate way, and I can't thank him enough. Mm. You know, right. I was rereading. I'm trying to think what I reread of uh, Jocks recently. I don't know. I think I think it might have been All Star Batman uh, that I was thumbing through a trade, mm. and I thought, yeah, Jock, Jock. Don't fall asleep on Jock. He he really is a talented artist, and I I, I think I was looking at some stuff from All Star Batman that just was just magnificent, mm-hmm. and I I really really thought yeah you know you don't think necessarily of Jock as some of the top current Batman artists, but uh you can certainly make an argument uh for for Jock and yeah. uh yeah definitely um 
possibly underrated i don't know you know but uh current batman artists i know capullo frequently comes up sure. uh you know people just want to go to jim lee a lot but yeah jock yeah i gotta think if i had to do a top 10 where would he make the list and if so where would he land mm. but yeah jock duck certainly is talented certainly is talented. definitely Yep. We got some likes and retweets on this past episode, and we heard from the aforementioned Green Lantern HG at Green Lantern HG. Uh, Ian, once again, IBM Miller. Again, a shout out to Matt at Maxi Zeus God. We also heard from, uh, Jose Ponce de Leon at J Ponce78346 and Jason at Jason9930375756. <laughs> Thank you so much. Now, if I overlooked you, my sincerest, deepest apologies. Please let me know on Twitter at BTO on BetBooks. Or let Jerry know at Professor Frenzy, and we will be sure to mention you on our final show. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> and that's all we have for today. Please join us next time where Chris and I will cover Flashpoint on what will be our final episode of Bat Books for Beginners. So my name is Jerry. And I'm Chris. And thank you for listening to Bat Books for Beginners. Such a drag to go by some Batman and be upset with the story that's told. Who is this crook? Where's Bruce gone now? No one's been named. Why are they so old? Back in your home, you wonder if I could find out which bat books to buy. Which bat books to buy? Hi. There's a podcast. Bat Books for Beginners Got some tips on which of the Batman comic books I might make as mine Some more, read all that I can Walk in the store, walk out feeling fine Back in your home, so glad to find You figured out which Bat Books to buy Which Bat Books to buy, hi from the podcast, Bad Books for Beginners. Download tomorrow, every other Friday. Download tomorrow, every other Friday. It changed the bad books in your world. It changed the bad books in your world.